kind of what I want to talk about today, is just this reality that there is, a, there is a life that we get to live, that God wants us to live, and that he's done everything that's necessary so that we really can live it. But man, in this series, um, Living in Two Worlds, there's probably no message that relates more than that right here. That in these earthly bodies, as, as uh, Brad just said, there is a constant battle with inside of us, desiring the things that are different than what God has for us. And, every, and not only from within, we got our own flesh, our own desires, but then everything outside of us as well constantly seems to be drawing us into things that are not what God has for us. And uh, so that's what we want to look at. How do we have divine devotion? How can we stay devoted to God in the midst of being tempted all the time? And um, so I looked up the word devotion, and it's a deep love and commitment. It's great dedication and loyalty. When you hear the word devotion, it just seems heavier. There's a, there's a strength to that word. And, um, and, and seriously, there are so many things, though, that we are devoted to, that we love deeply and we're committed to and loyal to. Um, any Ute fans in here? Anybody Ute fan? Okay, that was okay. Um, uh, how many BYU fans? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's great, man. Uh, do, do you guys remember the, grew up with Schoolhouse Rock? You guys remember that? Did that not just sound like, hooray, I'm for the other team? You guys remember that? Oh my gosh. It, it's so funny. Um, being a sports guy too, it is pretty hilarious. I mean, the BYU uh, thing is okay, but I'm telling you, I'm from Michigan. And uh, in Michigan, there's one thing you learn when you grow up in Michigan. Oh, how I love to hate Ohio State. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just, yeah, exactly. It's just in you, man, and it's amazing. It's like you don't sit there and say, hey, you know, you don't put on a, a, a Ute hat and wear a BYU hat, unless you're Mark Demiglio, actually, but uh, outside of that. But uh, seriously, when you're devoted to something, you, you just, you love it. You're a, you're a fan. And now, can you imagine a player? A player who's on the youth football team or something, and then, but, but saying, but I really want BYU to do well too, you know? You don't. You, you give everything that you've got to that, and if you've ever played a sport, you know there's nothing more frustrating than having somebody on your team who isn't fully devoted, who's not absolutely committed, who's not given everything that they've got, because you know that the result of your game, of your win, is not just you giving everything you've got. You've got to have everybody on the team. So devotion, experiencing the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, actually, we can do, each one of us can do our part, but I'm telling you, we're also dependent on everybody else doing theirs too. And so um, this whole idea, idea of being devoted, you guys, is critical. And that's what I want to chat with you about today. Because I do know that um, for us in this room right now, um, as everybody would raise your hand, it is tough to stay devoted to Christ. It is, it is tough to love him. With all of our heart, which is what God said. I want you to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And, um, and there's partial devotion, but partiality never reaches the fullness of what God has for us. And so how do we battle this? How do we take this temptation that we're with every day and, and fight it? That's what I want to talk to you about today. So I want to pray. I'd love to just start off and, and pray for you um, because I really do. I think first service, God really showed up um, in our midst. And that's why we're here. We say this all the time. Going to church is so, has no, I have no interest in going to church. But I have all the interest in the world in engaging with the living God who loves me deeply and is committed to me experiencing life that he has for me. And I want to tell you, the only reason we gather here, the only reason we gather here is because we believe he's here. And we believe he loves you. 
and we believe that he's committed to you. And so, um, so I want to pray for you, but I also, while I'm praying for you, I want you to just, as well, just maybe open up your own hearts too, to this moment to say, you know, you, you, you could walk out of here having just engaged with God. And if that happens, we could be different than when we came in. All right? So let's pray together. Father, I just want to say again, I'm just so grateful that you love us. And I'm grateful for that interesting music coming behind the prayer. <laughs> Lord, I do. I just, I really do. Um, thank you so much for, for your love for us. Um, the fact that one thing we don't have to wonder this morning is if you're devoted to us. Um, you do love us deeply. And you are unbelievably committed to us. And we just thank you for that. So God, I know, too, that you know every heart in this room. And you know where it is that we're struggling um, with partial devotion to you, with, with living kind of in two worlds. Um, and I just want to ask right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you might move in our midst, that you might help each one of us to really be free to live the life that you've called us to. And um, I know you're here, and I want to just ask you to anoint your word so that the eyes of our heart could be enlightened, so that we might really understand what we have in you. And uh, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, well, let me just share a little bit before I jump in kind of where we've been in this series. Um, how many of you were with us two weeks ago in the park? You guys there? Is that awesome? Man, see, this is one way you know God loves us, because that is like the only nice day we've had in the last month, and it was absolutely perfect, which was awesome. Um, but on that day, uh, what I shared with us was this, this deeper reality. I'm telling you, we're going to have to do a series on this sometime in the near future, and that is understanding that God has made us, the scriptures tells us uh, in chapter 5, if you want to go back and read it in 2 Corinthians, that he made us for this purpose, and that is to actually live eternally with him. That these bodies that we live in, we talk about that they're tents, and tents are actually made to be taken down. We know that these things that we're in are only temporary, and then we're going to live eternally with God. And, and, and so, but yet, what we do down here totally plays a part of building the character of who we're going to be for eternity. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing deal. And then last week, we realized that, so Christ came down, and he said, so I am absolutely committed, God says, to you living with me for eternity, so we got to take care of some business here because right now there's so much sin in the world and in your own lives that we're not going to be able to hang together. So he sends Jesus Christ to come down, and he dies for us. We're reconciled to God, as we learned last week, through the work of Christ. And then it told us this, that Jesus died so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. So really what Jesus did, what God said is, listen, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to get this thing straightened out here. I'm going to begin to straighten out how you're actually supposed to live. And here's how it is. You don't live for yourself. See, because we all know that. I mean, if, if I live for myself, then every relationship I'm in has trouble. And if I run into you and you're living for yourself and we come together, it's just chaos. All the problems in the world exist because humanity is bent towards living towards themselves. So God comes to set us free from that. And then we start here in chapter 6, and actually the verse was used a little bit uh, last week. In verse 1 it says, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So he starts off today in this chapter that I'm going to go through with you today in chapter 6, and he says, make sure, you guys, that you don't receive his grace in vain. So if you're a follower of Christ here today, you know we're saved by? Good, awesome. 
not by works. The greatest message in all the world is you don't work your way into heaven. You don't try to do enough good things. It is God's grace, his gift, his favor towards us. But he says, make sure that if you received his grace, you don't do it in vain. What does that mean? The word vain means this. Um, It's devoid of substance or meaning. In other words, when God's grace comes into your life, then something is supposed to happen. There's supposed to be a transformation that brings substance to your life. I just got to tell you, when I gave my life to Christ when I was 19 years old and engaged in the Christian community, and then when I went on staff at a church when I was 22, I realized, oh my goodness, the Christian church, that might be a definition of it right there, so often lacks any substance. We have this really empty uh, existence where nothing is actually changing our life and the church isn't impacting the world. And see, and Paul says, guys, wait a second. If you got saved and nothing is happening of any substance in your life, there's a problem. Somehow you received his grace in vain. Don't do that. Another thing that in vain, it means it's failing to have the desired result. Now, don't raise your hand on this. But how many of you would say that you received Jesus Christ and you put your faith in him, you accepted his grace, but it's not actually having the desired result? Christ came so you and I could live life to the full. And there are way too many people who believe in Jesus who are not experiencing that. And, and I just, I, today is the day where he wants to start off and say, that's not acceptable to God. Jesus didn't come so you could have, you know, an empty life. You know, I know you'll get to heaven and stuff, but just suffer down there for a while, you know, and then uh, we'll get up here. No, he came and he gave you grace. Don't receive it in vain. Go for it, okay? And then we come down here and we get to where we are today. And Paul just says to these guys, he says, man, again, you got to remember, I am so absolutely committed to you. I love you with all of my heart. And this whole book of 2 Corinthians that we're going through was written because there was another group of people who were coming into Corinth and they were teaching the Corinthians something different. They were not teaching the good news that you're saved by grace as a gift from God. They were teaching that there were certain religious practices that you had to do and you had to work your way into heaven. And, and Paul was just saying, you guys, that is not the good news that I gave to you. So man, open your hearts to me. Stay committed to me. Because my message is the one that Jesus gives that sets you free. If you go with these other guys and the teaching that they're giving you, it'll totally rob you of the power that's in the Holy Spirit of really knowing God. You're going to get it caught up in man-made religion, and it's going to empty your life. Okay? So that's where we find us. And he starts off here in chapter 6, and he says, So we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and we've opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your heart to us also. What Paul is saying to you guys is open your heart to me. And the reason he was saying that was because if you open your heart to me, you're going to open your heart to the greatest news and the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace to you. So, Here we go. So Paul says, there's life for you. Jesus says, there is life for you. Open your heart to me. Open your heart to God. Love him with all your heart. Be devoted to him. All right? Now, I'm going to walk you through 
the rest of chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up and go through this with me. If you don't, uh, we'll put up the scriptures on the screen. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to jump into some stuff today that the church has had a really difficult time understanding. This is going to be a fun one to teach you. Because my guess would be many of you have maybe heard some things on this stuff that just isn't true. And, and we need to walk through this very clearly. Okay? Life to the full. It's yours. So, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and that of idols? Now, here's the first thing. Paul, if you want to really experience the full life that God has for you, number one is this, no compromise. No compromise. Christians, you guys, if you're visiting today, or if you're not a follower of Christ today, um, this will be a great day for you to be here, because you're going to understand a little bit of the depth of what it means for those of us who have received Christ. But if you have received Christ today, this message, you guys, we got to if you really want the life God has for you, we've got to understand this. The first thing is no compromise. Listen to these definitions of compromise. It's a settlement in which each party accepts less than they originally wanted. Right? When you compromise, isn't that what you do? Now, we do that in human relationships, and that's important. You know, if you're married, hopefully you compromise. You come in with this agenda. Your spouse comes in with this agenda. You give up some of yours and then they give up some of theirs, and you find a happy medium. But what God is saying here is, whoa, 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 but don't compromise with me, <laughs> okay? Don't settle for less. Don't do it, okay? Another definition is, it's something that somebody accepts because what was wanted is unattainable. Have you ever done that? You ever, you ever seen something, you want it so bad, but you realize, man, I just can't afford it, you know? And so you buy the lesser whatever it is. <laughs> The smaller home, the not as nice car, the, you know, the cheap golf clubs. <laughs> because what you want is unattainable. I, I, I mean, I just want to tell you guys, this is where the church has blown it. We have bought the lie that says, you know what? You really can't know God. That's a, there's no powerful life in him. You are left to just kind of go through it in this world. And the life that he came to give you, life to the full, is unattainable. And so what do you do? You go, well, then what's the, what's the, what's the why do it? <laughs> What's the point? Come on, if you're a follower of Christ, you know at some point, you finally just kind of said, you know what? Oh, man, I always want to say that word. Can't say that word in church. <laughs> um, uh, you just want to say, forget it. And, 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 you, just, and you, just wanna, you just want to give it up. And what will happen is you'll compromise because you don't think that what God has for you is really actually attainable. Think about this. Come on. Jesus did not say, I came down here so you could have a half-baked life. I came down here so it would be okay. I came so you could have life to the full. And if you ever stop believing that, you'll compromise. Man, I'm telling you, this is why we need each other. We need to get in each other's face on a regular basis and say, keep going, man. Every great sports team does not compromise, and they keep going to win it. Every great business and every great organization, when it looked like you were going to fail, you believed in it and you kept going, and then you attain it. So anyway... Just don't buy the lie. Don't compromise. The third one, it's, to compromise is to undermine or devalue something or somebody by making concessions. And I want to tell you, the church, when we compromise, 
we devalue God with our concessions. We live a half-baked devotion to God. And I want to tell you, when we do that, because we all do, but can I just tell you again today, if you're doing it now, if you know that you're not completely devoted, deeply loving Him, totally committed to Him, and you're living a half-baked commitment to God, you guys, we devalue Him. So not only do we not get the life that He has for us, we do a really cruddy job displaying who He is to the rest of the world. No compromise, okay? Now, so here we go. So let me just walk through these verses with you. Go ahead and, yeah, where are we at? 14, perfect. Let me just walk these through with you and kind of help you understand uh, what Paul's doing here. He gives about five, I think it is. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six things in a row. Paul does this a lot. <laughs> when you read the New Testament, you'll find when he really wants to get a point across, he just hits you and hits you and hits you. Jab, 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 jab. Bam, knock you out, right? So here we go. So here's his jabs because he wants to make sure you get this. First one, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Okay, now, I, mean, I can't wait to teach this one to you. Now, what's a yoke? You guys know what a yoke is? <clears throat> a yoke back then was this big thing. If you, had a, if you were on a farm and you had two oxen, and they were going to pull you know, the, uh, the plow behind them, you would put a yoke on them to make sure that the you know, two oxen weren't just going all over their own place. As soon as you put a yoke on them, they were bound together, so they would go in one direction. So what God is saying here is to us, if you're a follower of Christ... You can't bind yourself together with somebody who won't follow me. Does that make sense? Because at some point, this person is going to want to totally do what is completely opposite of what God wants. And if you're bound to them, then you are going to go with them. And so who are you going to be devoted to? The person or God? And that, see, that causes a problem. So we have to be really, really careful in this deal. Now, I want to tell you, in this context... I really believe that what Paul was saying in, right here was, and I'm talking about these false teachers who are teaching you things that aren't true. They're not true believers. So you guys, you have to be really careful. See, because in our culture, it's kind of like, what is, you know, whatever works for you. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we're teaching. No, it matters what we're teaching. Paul said, if you follow those guys, if you bind yourself with them, you're going to go down paths that are not really the ways of God. And then you won't really know him. So you have to be really careful with this. Now, Here's, here's, here's why this is a tricky, tricky little verse. Because what the church has done, especially in the early 1900s here in America, uh, it, sometimes it's been called the fundamentalist movement. But in the early 1900s, what was happening is there were people who were teaching things that weren't really true. They were calling themselves Christians, but they really weren't teaching what has been taught for the last 2,000 years. Well, the church got really freaked out because most of these people in the early 1900s were also the people that were caring about the poor. <laughs> and they were, they were doing a lot of social justice things. And what the church did is they said, man, you know what? We've got to pull out of the world. Look what the Bible says. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. So what the church did is they, what I call holy huddles. <laughs> And what we did is we built all these things around. We had our little church, and we said, we got to make sure that we have Christian this and Christian that and Christian this and Christian that. I mean, it, it's hilarious how we do this because we can't have anything to do with the world. Now, can I just tell you, that is not what God is teaching us. If we're not supposed to have anything to do with the world, then why did Jesus Christ come into the world? 
(laughs) You see what I'm saying? If he was like, you could see Jesus up there in heaven going, man, dude, this is good up here. Everything's right and good. I'm not going down there. Man, those people are screwed up. I mean, they're going to hurt me and they're going to spit at me. They're going to nail me to a cross. I'm not going down there. No, the love of God goes into the world. That's Jesus. So if you're a disciple of Christ, you don't pull yourself away from the world. Because Christ goes into the world. That's why at K2, what are we? We are, let's do it together. We are focused, tight, out there. The reason we put that in there was because I grew up in churches that said, we're in here. If any of you'd like to come in, come on in and check us out. But we're not going out there scary out there. You know, it's a mean world and ugly and sinful. And Jesus goes, yeah, it's a mean world, it's ugly, and it's sinful. Do you know what it needs? Me. It needs me. Now, so here's the phrase, used a hundred times. You're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And this is a tough balance. Because what happens is Christians do get in the world, and then they get tempted to yoke themselves and bind themselves with things that are not of Christ. This is why when I first became a Christian, I couldn't go to the bar. I mean, if I was at the bar and if I was listening to certain music and it it created old desires within me, there were places I couldn't go because if I went there, I'd go, whoop, I just couldn't do it. But now, you know what? After how many years I've been walking with Jesus, I can go there now because I can be in the world, but I'm not going to yoke myself with the world. And so, you guys, it's really critical. Some of you are followers of Christ, and the people who know you would have no idea because you're yoked with the world. But some of you need to get into the world and bring the love of Christ and the light of him into that. 1 Corinthians 5.15 says, Don't associate with the sexually immoral. But then it's great. He says, Not at all meaning the people of this world. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. (laughs) I love that. He goes, I'm not saying you can't associate with people who are sexually immoral because the whole world's that way. Okay? And then he says, but in James 4, 4, it says this. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. In other words, if you yoke yourself in ways or purposes or with people who are not following God and when they go in a different direction, you go with them. You lose your life. You lose your light. You quench the spirit. You grieve him. And you no longer have life to the full. But Jesus was called the friend of sinners. I love that. So what we need to figure out, you guys, is how to be in the world with love and grace and truth, but not be yoked with it. I know I just camp on that one because I, I just know way too many times Christians have taken that and, and really messed with that. I got, I'm going to touch on another thing here on that whole issue here in just a second. But let's, let's go. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Number two, for what righteousness do wickedness and have in common? Obviously, they don't. Things that are good and things that are evil. They don't have anything in common. The next one, what fellowship can light have with darkness? I I shared with you a couple weeks ago in 1 John chapter 1. It says, if you claim to have fellowship with God, but you walk in the darkness, you lie. In other words, you you can't be tight with God and live in ways that are opposite of him at the same time. 
you know? It's either light or it's dark. That's just this the way it is. Uh, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? This name, Belial, is a name for Satan. It's a name for the devil. But here's what this word means. It means the opponent of God. So in other words, it's just obvious. It goes, what harmony, right? You're going to listen to some music here in a little bit. Brad and the band are going to come together, and hopefully they're going to hit the right notes, and we're going to have harmony, right? Because when you hit the wrong notes, and it's dissonance. It's like, ugh. Okay? An opponent, anybody who's an opponent of God and Christ, it just, it's not going to be harmonious. But here's it is. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, um, don't raise your hands here, but uh, I'm a believer. And you know what? I have some great friends. In fact, one of my absolute best friends is an unbeliever. Do I have anything in common with him? Dude, I got more in common with him probably than all of you in this room. We, I mean, we love so many of the same things. When we're together, it's just a blast. So yesterday, Susan and I took about an hour studying this one little phrase because I wanted to figure out, well, what's he mean? What do you mean? What can a believer and a non-believer have in common? I have tons of common. You know, in fact, we can have things in common that are good. We can fight injustice. There are people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, and we can fight for justice with these people. We, we can do this. Well, here's what the actual word means. It means... What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What portion, that's the word, does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, here's, here's another verse. Colossians 1.12 says this. Give thanks to, I give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. God has caused us to share. We have a portion. It's the same word. In the inheritance. What's the inheritance? What did we receive? You know what I received? When I put my faith in Christ, I received the Holy Spirit of God. Now, here's the deal. That, my friends who don't believe in Christ, don't have. And that's just, that's just reality. And so, what he's saying here is, what we don't have in common is, I have an inheritance for eternity. We've been talking about this. You have been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That's my portion. And people who don't believe, who haven't put their faith in Christ yet, that they, that they don't have yet. So you guys, so what's interesting with this is this. So when I'm with my friends who don't believe, there probably are going to be times with as much as we have in common, where they're going to go down a certain path, and I can't go. Come on, Dave, let's go to the bar. Okay. Come on, man, have another one. Have another one. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not going down that road. Walk out to the car. Hey, pull out a little weed. Come on, this is, you know, it's going to be legalized, right? You guys all know that. By the way, somebody just told me, it's getting, you know, it's, it's just, I know we're going down that road probably. But right now, I can't do that. I'm not going down that road. See, this is, this is the point. When my spirit is led by the spirit, because I've got Jesus in me now, he leads my life. And a non-believer isn't led by Christ. Okay, now, okay, ready? Can you put your seatbelt on here? Hold on here for me for a second. If you're single today, God, help me say this right. If you're single here today, um, and you're considering uniting your spirit with another human being. 
If you're a follower of Christ, do you really want to unite your spirit with someone who isn't going to follow Christ? Because I'm telling you, when you get married, we're talking yoke, buddy. God says, what I join together, let no man separate. And when I do premarital counseling, and I know the two couples are not on the same page spiritually, dude, I just go, you've got to think really hard about it. You know what? It's going to be tough. So you've got to be careful not to yoke yourself with someone that you're not on the same page with. Okay, now, a lot of you I don't know in here. I do know this, though. I also know couples who, where one person in the marriage is a believer and the other person's an unbeliever. And that may be you today. Maybe that's you today. So what do you do with this? How do you, how do you live this out? You know, can I just tell you this? If you're married today, and one of you is a believer and the other is a non-believer, God says, then stay married. You be committed to this thing. You are joined together and you're one. And so I, just to make sure that you all understand this, um, where am I? There it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you need to read this, says this. He, he just says, if one person is a believer and the other person is a non-believer, you should not divorce. Each should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. And so I've, just, I've had people who've come to me and they want to get divorced and the reason is, well, because he's not a believer. Uh, God says that's not, a, that's not a reason. So I just want to tell you this right now. If you are married and you're not on the same page spiritually, love each other. Love each other. Especially, can I just say, I know this is so, but if you're a follower of Christ in here and that's your situation, you are called by God to love your spouse. Love them. Be committed to them. And that's just, that's God's design for you. So I just wanted to make sure that we get that really clear because some, oh man, I'm, uh, I'm in a relationship that's not, well, stay. And watch what God will do through that. His love can give you what will last forever. All right? Got to hit that. Had to hit that one. Last one. He just says, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Read the Old Testament. I mean, the temple, you guys, is where the presence of God was. And so all through the Old Testament, all these people were worshiping handmade, carved, wooden things. And he goes, are you kidding me? What agreement is there between those two things? It's completely different. So let me bring this home for today. No compromise. What does that mean for us? No compromise. Because we live in a society today that says compromise. In all honesty, I think our culture today says, hey, the more tolerant you are of everything, the better. Aren't you? It's a very, what, what the word is pluralistic society that we live in. I mean, I, when I, talk, I live in Sugar House. Man, I'm telling you, Sugar House is the king of pluralistic belief. The real honor is if you can all be together on the same, and it's just, you just go, man, now listen, I'm supposed to honor you, I'm supposed to respect you, I'm supposed to love you, and I'm supposed to serve you. But I'm not supposed to yoke myself to the point where I water down my commitment to Christ. God is the one I'm devoted to more than anything else. And so I just want to, right now, I'd like for you just to think in your own heart, where are you compromising? Where are there things of the world that are mixed in with your devotion to God so that you can't run after him full and wholehearted? And you just need to think about that. Because for two reasons, three reasons. First reason is this. If you can't be fully devoted to God, you will never experience the full life that he has for you. And if you're not living the full life, then when you walk out of here, you are not giving the full display of God's glory through your life to this world. 
And in that way, we don't honor God and we don't bless the people around us. And to God, he says, none of that is okay to me. Your partial existence right now is not acceptable to me. I want you to live. And I want to live through you to this world that needs to know how much I love them. So no compromise. All right? Here we go. Next thing is why. Why not? Well, I kind of gave you that reason, but let me, let me share with you what the next verse says. Why? Why do you want to walk out of here if you're a follower of Christ and say, 100%, pure devotion, I'm going to go for it. Here's what he says in verse uh, 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Guys, why no compromise? Here's why. Because there is no question. There is no question about who you are and who God is and what that relationship looks like. You need to be reminded of this today. Are you ready for this? This is so cool. Who are you? You are the temple of God. You're the temple of God. Now, I know living in 2010, you know, in Utah, in, in the United States, this is really hard for us. But how many of you, anybody been to Israel in here? Anybody been there? Man, I tell you, we need to hop on one big plane and just send us all to Israel so we can experience this. But man, when you stand at the temple, you guys, one stone in the temple, I can't even reach the height of how high it is, and it's twice as long as this room. One stone. That thing was unbelievable in its structure. But here's what really made it unbelievable, was in the very center of it was the Holy of Holies, and before Christ, God's presence was in the temple. And if you were Jewish, you knew that God was in there. And no human being could get in there and be with God, except one guy, a high priest, once a year, could go in there. And they even put little bells on his feet, because if he didn't do everything right, he'd die. So they all listen. Hey, I hear the bell. Okay, well, he's good. And if there was no bell, they actually tied a rope to his leg so he could pull him out <laughs> if he didn't do everything right. If you were Jewish and you knew that God's presence was in the temple, you were like, do that. Is and now, after Christ, he says, you are the temple of God. His spirit lives inside you. Why do you want to be devoted to God? Because he's in here, man. He says, I walk with you now. I'm with you every single moment. And then he says, and I'll be your God. And you'll be my people. Who are you? You're the people of God. That's who you are. And then he keeps going. He says, and I'm your father and you're my children. Man, I'm telling you, I don't know about you if you're a dad. I freaking love my kids so much it hurts. I'm telling you, like, I feel it right here. That was the biggest shock to me when Mariah was born. She came out of Sue's and I was in love with her. I was like, whoa. Wasn't expecting those emotions. I mean, I love my kids so bad. And when I think about this, and if God as my father, and he even says that, you guys are evil and you know how to love your kids. How much more do I love you? And so we're out there saying, and if my kids, who I love, man, when they disobey me or when they get in my face, and oh man, if they ever, when they dishonor Susie, I don't know about you guys, dude, it's over. That's when it's over. You do not do that. And yet, we're going to walk out of here today, and we are going to be tempted every day 
to dishonor our God, who's our Father, who loves us, who wants to lead us and provide for us and protect us and give us life to the full. And we're going to go out there and we're going to be committed to other things. You see why you don't do that? It's because of who you are. You're a child of God, born of his spirit. You're his temple. He lives inside of you, and he is your God. You guys all know everybody has a God, right? Everybody does. The issue is most gods are our own self. You can know who your God is by who you serve every day. When you wake up in the morning and you make a decision, how do you base that decision? I bet you any money as a human being most of the time say, well, what do I want? (laughs) What do I think is best for me? And then you do it. When God is your God, you go, what does he want? And what is the best for the rest of the world and not for myself? Because remember, Christ died for you, so you wouldn't live for yourself, but for him. So you guys, that's why you do it. Because there's no question now. I'm a child of God. And I'm a temple that he lives in. And I can't take the presence of God and go put it and open up a porn site and let that match with the presence of God. I can't have the presence of God and get caught up in the ways of the world and say, you know what, all my money goes for my own resources so I can have a bigger home and a nicer car and more stuff so I can show everybody that I matter (laughs) while the rest of the world struggles to eat. See, that you just don't take the presence of God and match it with the ways of this world. No compromise. It just doesn't work that way. All right? So now, how do we close? Here's the last thing. There's no compromise because there's no question. And so, you guys, there can be no passivity. Because here's what we do as Christians. <laughs> if you're like me, you're going to walk out of here, and Monday morning's going to hit, and we're, we're going to fall right into our old patterns. And I want to say, no, let's not do it. Let's not go back into our mediocre, lukewarm stuff that he wants to spit out of his mouth. Let's not do it. But how? Because this is hard, okay? So I'm going to teach you through this last verse, and then we'll close. Chapter 7, verse 1 says this. Since we have these promises, and what are the promises? That God will be your Father, that he will be your God, that he will be in you. He'll walk with you. He'll give you everything you need. Since you have those promises, dear friends, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So what do we do? Let me give you four things. This is, I'll try to be really practical with you today, okay? How can we have divine devotion so that we can have life to the full, so that I can be free to love and live? How can I do this in the midst of earthly temptation? Number one is this. You've got to remember what we have. You've got to remember how good you've got it. The very first thing he says is, since we have these promises. See, what happens is so often of the time, we just get out there and everything else in the world looks so good that we forget that we have the glorious riches of the inheritance of the saints. In other words, God is saying, I have given you everything that you need. Love. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, power, incomparably great power for us who believe. Inner strength, the ability to be integrity, have integrity. All of this, God is saying, is yours. And we get out there in the world, and the world just looks at us and says, hey, but look at all of this. And one of the first things you've got to do is say, wait a second, wait, wait. I have got it so good. Man, I am living in the kingdom of God. 
You know, I mean, this is where, where C.S. Lewis said something like this. It's like, man, we're sitting there, we're, we're so happy when we could be living in a castle and we're sitting there playing around with mud pies. It's something, you know, you guys who are C.S. Lewis fans are going, dude, don't, that was horrible. But basically, you just need to remember the promises of God. So next time you get tempted to lure you away, go, no, I've got it so good. The second thing he says is this. Remember that sin always contaminates body and spirit. Look at the verse. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. You guys, if something contaminates something, that means it brings something poisonous into it and it makes it something that can destroy you or kill you. Now, we are so committed to purity here in our world, aren't we? I mean, it's crazy. Are we, are we not all about clean drinking water? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's amazing. It's like, I can't even drink the water that's clean. I have to have a purifier to drink my water that's okay to drink. I mean, we are so committed to pure water. We live here in Utah in this valley, and the inversion happens, and we want clean air. And then we want actually food that's clean, right? Get all the steroids out so my chicken doesn't weigh 20 pounds after a week, right? So that we're actually, then why are we doing that? Because if I'm going to ingest water or air or food into my body, I don't want the poisonous stuff going in here and destroying me. And yet, we're going to go out into this world and we're going to get caught up in stuff that God says that will destroy you. It will destroy your relationships. It'll rob your joy. It'll take away your peace. And we need to remember this. Remember how good you've got it. And remember that sin always contaminates your body and your spirit. You guys know this, right? You guys have done this. And it's amazing to me when temptation comes, It'll rise up within me, and everything within me goes, yes. I want it, and I want it now. And, our, and, if, and if you're not built up in your faith, and even when you are, I mean, you still, we're like, and we grab it. And then you guys know what, and this is what's so crazy, is you know the next morning what happens. Got me again. Your spouse won't talk to you because you blew up and you were all selfish and you did all this kind of stuff. You, you don't have any more joy. Your peace is robbed. You got shame. You're beating yourself up. And, you just, and he, he got me again. You got to remember that. <laughs> got to remember the ripped up relationship. Got to remember the anxiety. Got to remember the lack of peace. It contaminates your soul. Okay? So then what do you do? Remember how good you got it. Remember that it contaminates. The third thing is this. Run. Run. When it's coming around, man, you've got to take off. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee. Have you guys ever been around something where you thought something could actually destroy you? Have you ever been like that? When I was in college, I was out with this girl after midnight, and we were walking around this wooded path. You know, I'm being all manly, and we're having fun, and we're, you know, we're, we're going through this whole path. And all of a sudden, I hear this noise in the bushes. And so we keep walking and stuff, and then all of a sudden we hear it again, and we stop. And I go, um, did, you, did you hear that? She's like, yeah. What do you want to do? I don't let's go. So we walk a little bit more, and sure enough, the noise follows us. I go, did you hear that? She goes, yeah. What do you want to do? Run. <laughs> okay, on the count of three. One. Two, three, man, and we just took off and we fled because you have no idea what's in there. You guys, you gotta remember, this stuff is gonna destroy you. It's gonna destroy your marriage. 
It's going to destroy your peace. Get it out of your life. Run from it. But then he says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Is that, is that verse up? Just look at this verse. You guys, you always watch the horror movies, right? And what happens? Oh my gosh, someone's coming after us. And then the people are running and they're running. But where are they going? They have no idea. So they're just running, they're fleeing. But then what happens? They don't have anywhere to go. And you just sit there and you're watching the movie and you go, oh man, they're, they're toast. You just know they're going to get him eventually. Man, you, if you just get rid of stuff, but you don't pursue something, it doesn't help. Man, you guys, you got to pursue. And look what we got to pursue. Righteousness and faith and love and peace. In other words, man, go after the things of God. And, and here's the key. And along with those who are calling out of God with a pure heart. Man, I just want to tell you right now, you guys, I cannot be free by myself. If you are trying to, to have victory over temptation and you're doing it all by yourself, you, you don't have a prayer. You got to run after with some people who are calling out of God with a pure heart. Man, I need people to support me, to encourage me, to say it's worth it, David, to give me the truth and accountability and somebody to confess to. I'm telling you, when, when you fall and you're screwed up, It'll just load on you, and the guilt will overtake you. But man, when you find a brother or a sister that you can confess to because you know they're going to love you, man, it just breaks that, and you can be free. So, remember how good you've got it. Remember the promises. Remember the consequences. Think about the consequences again. Just hammer them home. And number three, flee whatever it is that's dragging you down and pursue the right ways of God. And the last thing is this. He says, and let's go back to verse uh, 7, chapter 7, verse 1. And he says this. Let's perfect holiness out of reverence for God. So band, come on up. Let's perfect holiness. And that word perfect means let's make it complete out of reverence for God. And you guys, when I thought about this, this is one of those things where, I'll be totally honest with you, um, I want you to know him so bad. There's nothing more that I desire as your pastor that you would actually know God. Man, when I pray for my kids at night, golly, man, my, my greatest desire is that my kids would really know God. I don't want them to believe in God because their dad's a pastor. <laughs> you know, God, God help them. I want them to know him. I want you to know him. Now, because of that, I often am trying to help you to understand how much he loves you and the fact that Jesus came into this world to reconcile you to himself, that you're saved by grace. But I want to tell you, the danger sometimes is what can happen is, is we, when we, again, we take his grace in vain. And we don't have any reverence for God. Two, two weeks ago, when I taught you, what's going to happen when, we're, when, we, when we leave this earth, what's going to happen is we're going to stand before Christ, every one of us. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to receive what's due for us for what we've done in this body, whether good or bad. Now, let me make this really clear. 
that is not going to affect whether we get in to heaven and have an eternal relationship with Christ. Do you understand this? You are saved by grace through faith, not by works. I'm not talking about that you're trying to do good work so that God will love you so he'll let you in. That is not. But if you are his child, he says, you are my workmanship created in Christ to do good works. So in other words, what once you receive Christ and he gets inside of you, we need to have a healthy fear because what Paul says is we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, and therefore, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, <laughs> I, that just hit me. And I just, I think there's way too many Christians who go, you know what, yeah, so I sinned. Jesus died for that, and he forgiven me. And, and it's true, it's true. But he also rose again so that you could empower you to live a different life. Yes, thank you, God. We're going to sing about it right now. Thank you, God, for sending Christ. He paid for it all, and I'm completely forgiven. But I'm also He died for that, so I wouldn't live for myself, but have the power now to live for God. Do you have reverence for God, or is he kind of your buddy? You know, this guy who's just there and to help me out. I mean, you know what's going to happen when we die, right? We're going to fall on our face when we see him. And right now, the other way I think that we actually can have some victory over sin is we need to remember that when we sin, it grieves God's spirit, and it quenches his fire within us. We don't lose our relationship with him, but we do lose fellowship with him. And man, when you don't have fellowship with your spouse, you can be married, but it... And when you don't have fellowship with God, doesn't mean you're not his child, doesn't mean you won't get into heaven, but he says some are going to get in as if they're escaping through the flames. That's no life. It's no life. So right here, right now, I want to encourage you to have reverence for God. Because how, how do you get reverence for God? Well, one way is you worship Him. You sing and you remind yourself of who He is, that you are and I'm not. The other way you get reverence for God is you open this puppy up, man, and you read it and you remind yourself of who He is and you let Him speak to you and remind you how wonderful and great and mighty and powerful God is. Sometimes just go take a walk in this beautiful nature. Stay out late at night and see the stars and remember how amazing He is. You guys, we need to have reverence for our God. So let's do that right now. Do you want the full life? Are you living in two worlds? Or have you compromised where you've, you know, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, but there's a lot in my life that's not like God. This day, right here, right now, let's ask him to clean us, to purify us, Let's confess our sin to God and let's turn again towards him and walk out those two doors in just a few minutes with an absolute commitment, a devotion to love him deeply with all of our heart. So receive the forgiveness that's yours in Christ. Be cleansed from it and set free so we can walk out of here in love.